0: Hey, no name-calling here. Just differing opinions going head-to-head. With counterpoint. counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Anthony Fury in for Alex Pearson. we got a great Counterpoint for you today. Hello to our panelist, John Mraz, former Liberal War Room director. Good to see you, sir. Nice to be anywhere. Our <laughs> Fair enough. That, that, that is a good way... Uh, to put it,
1: a, a good attitude on life, right? Mike Van Solen, principal hey, at Navigator. Happy to be breathing upright, uh, above the ground. Yeah, and and happy to be here with you. And I'm sure a lot
0: of people are saying just happy to still be here after the cabinet shuffle that happened. Uh, up on Parliament Hill, of course, you know, you, you guys both know that usually you do a cabinet shuffle either because there's something you want to get away from, you want to change the narrative, uh, there's people who have been screwing up, or people who are doing a really good job, or some sort of regional representation. Uh, John Mraz, what was going on? With this cabinet shuffle what why did it happen and what are the the key takeaways that we should pay attention to
2: I don't think there's anything surprising about having a cabinet shuffle about a year before an election an election that many people two years ago would have said was Trudeau's to lose and now is Trudeau's to win it's gonna be tough for him he's had a tough year Uh, our dealings with the United States come first to mind when I think of the cabinet that has to lead us into the next year uh, it's interesting to me that this cabinet shuffle doesn't address that at all. I think Christian mm. Freeland has been actually the star of Trudeau's cabinet and remains the star of Trudeau's cabinet. But I think she also could have been reinforced by some good advice and some of the uh, people who uh, actually understand international trade and U.S.-Canada relations. So what does it look like to me? It looks like people who have been weak for Trudeau have been pushed down or away, and people who have not been given a chance to excel at what they are good at will have an opportunity to hit the three things that matter, which is U.S.-Canadian trade, U.S.-Canadian border security, and Canadian international trade. Uh, those those would be the three things I'd right. worry about if I was Trudeau right now. Uh, of course, he didn't address, and he still hasn't addressed in any real way, what happened with Uh, What I called Gropa Dope a couple weeks ago. Uh, But it's still a gender balanced cabinet. I don't think there are any surprises, and I don't think there's a lot to talk about, except for the fact that most people to this moment still don't know the names of 90% of his cabinet because this is a Trudeau government about Trudeau, led by Trudeau. And unlike some of the successful liberal governments before. His time, we don't seem to know the names of the people who make up his
0: team. Uh, there you go. He is the brand. And Mike Van Sullen yeah. was the brand suffering a little bit because of our border crisis and maybe some of the hashtag activism? Gerald Butts saying, you, t- telling uh, my colleague Lori Goldstein, it's irresponsible to say that the borders aren't secure. And then all of a sudden they announce a minister- for border security, <laughs> Bill Blair, what do you make of this kind of being the the main novelty, the main headline chaser of this?
1: Yeah, well, um, I think it is a problem, and, and it's funny to me that they spend all this time dealing with semantics—whether they're illegal border crossers or improper border crossers, um, irregular. A, a, it's ir- like an, an a, a, ad, that was an ad right. for uh, you know for granola or something, you <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, or uh, yeah. How you feel on a, on a bad morning? Um, it, it's, it just strikes me as odd that they, they've got in this whole semantic uh, problem. Because this is how they get into so many problems, is they try to downplay it, say it's not a problem. But Canadians, uh, I see it. The headlines are going to continue. The story is going to continue to predominate. Uh, they have a very uh, a tough uh, premier in Ontario who's going to make sure it is front and centre. So, uh, I mean, that's why they put Bill Blair in there, and, and those two will go... Uh, will go at each other for sure. Tong and hammer. Uh, So that really sets up this to be, I think, an actual issue that they, in some respects, uh, if I don't know if they want to, but they're going to end up uh, campaigning uh, around sort of all the and all the value signaling opportunities for them on this. This topic will never end. And, And is that a campaigning issue they can win on, John?
2: I'm not sure they can, but I love the fact you mentioned Jerry Butts' name because he seems like the unnamed member of cabinet and perhaps the most senior one in in all of this. They call him
0: Prime Minister Butts. The Hill Times reported that. That's what the caucus calls him.
2: So uh, obviously we we have two big issues right now when it comes to the United States. One is the tariff issues and the trade war that could emerge. And the second one is that Canadians... Uh, understand that this is one of the greatest places to live on earth, that people are lining up dutifully and making the proper applications to get in this country, and that we have a bunch of folks running over the border from the United States in a border that is, uh, quite frankly, materially indefensible. We just have too much border and not enough money and infrastructure to protect our own border, and we would have to depend on the United States to Keep those people inside. This is an unwinnable issue for either party. It's not a partisan issue here. And I don't like that it's become a partisan issue. How do you stop people who want to get into Canada from the United States getting here? We simply don't have the resources, the material, and the personnel to do it.
1: Well, I know, but that but that's the problem with the current government's handling on it. First, sticking their head in the sand and pretending it's not a problem and getting into arguments about semantics. Um, I get we're not no one in any party is proposing putting up a wall, but we do need to uh, improve the systems around uh, processing these folks when they come in. Uh, we need to do that quickly because Canadians will grow really tired of this. Torontonians will grow really tired of it when our shelters are are rammed full this winter, which is you know, which everybody can see is going to happen. Community centres too, perhaps. We, we Community centres, yeah, the armory again. So th- this is all going to play out and, you know, to stick your head in the sand on this topic uh, is foolish because Canadians are going to develop, if they don't know about the issue, they're going to develop Pretty strong views on it really and, soon.
0: And, and there's a, there's another question that uh, if there's only one other issue that has equally strong views from people, it's the carbon tax issue. Yeah. And boy, is it happening here in Ontario. We just had Rod Phillips joining us, the Ontario Environment Minister. He had a meeting with his federal counterpart, Catherine McKenna. It didn't go so well because Catherine McKenna is basically defiant upon continuing to uh, say we're going to have a national carbon tax sort of uh, foisted, thrusted upon Ontario, whether you like it or not. Rod Phillips and Doug Ford are willing to go to great lengths, even legal lengths. Take a listen to what Rod told me just earlier on this hour.
1: You know, I believe that uh that uh, you know, we have we have made it very clear and I made it clear in the legislature today as well. We will we will take legal steps. I wish that wasn't necessary. i d I don't see why um there should need to be uh you know, I think the mandate we received is quite clear and I I wish the federal government would see that. But um we will certainly use the courts, um, either through Saskatchewan or Ontario or perhaps both uh to uh to to take this question as a reference to uh to the Supreme Court if it's necessary because uh you know, we think we think there's a very clear case, and uh, and uh, and we'll make that.
0: And John Moraz, I got a, a two pronged question for you here. Can can Doug Ford and Rod Phillips win this battle legally to stop the carbon tax coming to Ontario? Will they win it politically?
2: Two great questions. New Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs is on the spot day one on this issue. Shouldn't be Minister of Environment. It this is an issue where we have to balance what is reasonable and what is good for the economics and for the jobs in Ontario and across Canada with what is good for our environment going forward. I have not seen a formula or solution from any party that actually addresses the issue in real terms with today's economic challenges. So the reality is... Elections are won or lost, and every liberal and every conservative I know, I know the NDP have a different view on this, on jobs and people making money and feeling secure, and this tax does not make anybody feel secure. They feel overburdened, and they're worried about, of course, jobs because of the impending trade war with the United States. So this is very much going to be, I think, the election (laughs) issue. Yeah, yeah Mike, I, th- I can't. I think it believe-
1: will. I think it will, will for sure. And Catherine McKenna. I, I sure hope she didn't fall out of her chair when Rod said this to her, because I think uh, Doug Ford and the team have been pretty clear. If anybody's been paying attention for the last four months uh, through the provincial campaign, that this is exactly what they were going to do um this is really setting up to be the issue i I see the liberals uh digging federal liberals digging in on it um they're you know and we're the federal the the federation is complete again we have a provincial government in Ontario that can take on uh, the federal government the federal government can blame and 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 browbeat the Ontario government but this will be the issue and uh I, and and you know importantly, it's not just Ontario. We have Scott Moe, we have Jason Kenny. We'll see what plays out in Quebec and out east. Uh, but there could be a whole bunch of troubles. Uh, this, this argument will play out in provinces across the country uh, in this next coming election.
2: I just want to add that uh, you know threatening to go to court is an easy thing to do. First of all, it would take a lot of time. Second of all, what you're doing is ripping open Confederation. Now you're back to what every Prime Minister, whether it was Gretchen, whether it was Harper, nobody wanted another debate on Confederation and really on the Constitution yeah. of Canada. And that is a loser because Canadians will not put up with their governments fighting each other at the expense of their pocketbooks or their security.
1: This this issue will be settled in the next federal election. It won't be settled in, uh, in a courtroom. That I could agree. They, hey, no
0: name-calling here. It's just differing opinions going head-to-head. With Counterpoint... Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Here with John Moraz, former Liberal War Room Director, and Mike Van Solen, Principal at Navigator. The counterpoint continues. And wow, what a doozy at the Ontario Legislature today. And we, we've seen your calls and your tweets and so forth for this, this odd exchange. Uh, comments by Michael Tabolo, who is the new Community Safety and Corrections Minister, and then <laughs> NDP leader, Andrew Horvath, took those comments. Take a listen to
1: this. I went out to Jane and Finch, put on a bulletproof vest.
0: I was appalled. Uh, A number of members, well, my entire caucus was appalled. Uh, It is absolutely unacceptable to um, make an insinuation uh, that going into a highly (laughs) racialized community uh, is um, going to necessitate the wearing of a bulletproof vest. It is a racist comment, and it's one that he should apologize for and withdraw immediately. And if you want to see a picture of this, uh, there's Michael Tobolo on Doug Ford's Twitter account, and there, there's a picture of them. They're posing at Jane and Finch with a couple guys who, I guess, live in the area. Doug Ford just wearing his typical open-collar white shirt, smiling, uh, just in his normal suit. Michael Tabolo is, you go, is that a cop? He's in, a, in this vest. Maybe a bit of overkill, but John Moraz apparently this is appalling racism that the entire NDP caucus was immediately horrified at the moment he just said, I wore a bulletproof vest.
2: I would say this as somebody who's worked 11 war zones and has worn a lot of bulletproof vests. The only time I put one on in Toronto is when I go out uh, to a, a nightclub where Drake's supporters are out that night because <laughs> it has nothing oh. to do with the neighborhood. It has to do with, and, 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 and there are bad guys of all colors and creeds out there and bad girls, I suppose of all colors and creeds in this new era that we're living in. Um, does it seem uh, are the optics terrible here? They're they're terrible.
0: So, sorry, the optics of uh, and and Mike Vanselow, I want to but, get yeah, you yeah. in on this. The optics of what Michael Tabolo did, or the optics of what Andrea Horvath said? Because I, I get Both. what John's saying about the war Both. zone thing, but
1: no, Both. no, I I mean. Uh, Andrea Horvath has just sort of knee-jerk need to be appalled at something, and Michael Tobolo served this up, and she decided, this is the thing I'm going to be appalled at. To call this racism is crazy. How about uh, commending a new minister for taking a time early in his job to drive up to some different neighbourhoods to work with the police to see what's really going on? You know, I understand the police asked him to wear it. You know, he he hasn't been in war zones like you, John. I, I don't know a lot of his background, but I don't think he's had that sort of experience. He took their Guidance. He did it. He spent over five hours driving around, talking with police officers, talking with community members. Um, look, this is what we want. We want ministers with a, a role like this to get their hands dirty, get up there, find out what's going on. Uh, to 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 jump off and call it racist right away. Uh, you know, the, the, I don't know. That's that's beneath the dignity of that. Uh, of and the John, does this
0: set a bad tone for these four years that Andrew Horvath's instantly kind of you know shot to the moon, the first available opportunity.
2: Well, look, first of all, it was the police, clearly you hit the nail on the head, who asked him to wear the vest. I don't think... Through. Why didn't they
0: ask Doug Ford? He's, he was Well, that's
2: too. an interesting question. Lots of politicians, including our mayor, uh, whom I support, go right. up there, don't wear a vest. I think I, the minute you put a vest on, and this is what I'm talking about, bad optics, I think the member of provincial parliament in question had the opportunity to say, no, I'm fine, right. I don't need to do that. The cops asked him to do it, he decided to do it, then he decided to triumphalize it, I don't think it was very clever. He's a little tone deaf to what's going on. And there is some racial tension in this town right now. Don't think it was very smart. Andrew Horvath's histrionics about racial inequity, et cetera, are just as tone deaf. Right. Clearly, he didn't bring his own vest. She is looking to score points. And what she's doing is actually creating a greater chasm In the racial debate than where uh, today started. So he's a little guilty of naivety. She's a little guilty of opportunism. Everybody needs to take it down. This is one of the best cities for racial integration in the world. By the UN standard, it's the best. So let's get the bad guys off the street. Let's be a little colorblind about that. Let's make sure. But in her... I can't believe I'm saying in her defense... He probably should have been smarter as a politician than not only just to wear it, but to mention he wear it.
0: Well, John, on the matter of getting the bad guys off the streets, John Tory, he wants to do just that. Him and police chief Mark Saunders last week, he announced 15 million dollars more for policing. And and a lot of people are upset with it because there's not more social programs and and the union even has some concerns with the amount of overtime. Well, then today he came in and he said, I'm announcing 12 million dollars of funding to target the youth, to help families cope with violence, for more job fairs, for more youth violence prevention staff. And here is what John Tory had to say earlier today about that strategy no person um, in the world anywhere is born bad no child is born bad and and there are various circumstances that will lead kids to a situation which I can hardly imagine I'm sure many of you have and many of the people of Toronto have difficulty imagining what it would cause a young person at age 13 14 15 17 19 pick your age to pick up a gun put it in their pocket and then to pull that gun out and shoot somebody and I believe that these kinds of investments made in areas that are marginalized for a variety of reasons are going to help uh, keep kids who might for one reason or another be uh, tempted to stray off a course that would have them as, as, as kids just like every other kid that could have a productive and positive life with hope and opportunity. I think these programs help. I've seen it with my own eyes. And Mike Van Solen, I guess the question is, sure, this can help the, the six-year-olds find opportunity and grow up to, to not uh, be gang members and to engage in gun violence, but we got a whole whack of guys who are 18 and over who, you know, that boat's already sailed. Yeah. Is, is this an appropriate thing for the mayor to be doing, or is he just kind of uh, appeasing those people who don't like the fact he also
1: wants to get tough with policing? I think to deal with the the gun violence that we're seeing today, and it's a lot of gang violence that we're seeing uh, rear its head uh, in this city. And I agree, you know, look, the, the long-term trends for, for violence are going in the right direction. So uh, if we talk about histrionics, this is a topic that uh, it's easy to fall into. but. The reality is of dealing with what's happening in the streets with uh, stray bullets and people getting shot, we need police officers, and we need police officers in communities. Uh, the, there is a plan. There is an effort right now to get over 200 police officers uh, hired and recruited. There is also bigger decisions around renewal within the Toronto Police Service that helps get you know police officers out from behind desks and, and into the streets because there's a whole modernization that could really help uh, make that happen. I get that, John Tory, and... and uh, other, there's ele- other elements of, of policing, and I think that's what we tried to get with the, at with the funding today. Um, uh, probably all those things are required, but we do need police officers on the street in a forward-leaning way to make a difference.
0: John Mraz, do we have a law enforcement issue right now in Toronto, or do we have a, a failure of community and social services issue?
2: I think we have a law enforcement issue. It's an ugly thing to say. Carding was eliminated last year. This year, we have no carding. Carding clearly wasn't working because there were, and I have many friends who are cops, and I work around cops in my firm during the day. They say, look, some of the constables on patrol abused the carding system, and so we had to eliminate it here in Toronto. The byproduct or the result of that is that we have twice the amount of murders and twice the amount of action on the street that we did last year. Yes. So carting didn't work. Well, we better come up with a solution. And that means getting the cops and the police force to work with community and social services to find a solution to take the kids who are over 18 already off the street without violating everyone's civil rights as we do it. I haven't heard anybody come up with a solution yet. Should John Tory commit $12 million to taking youth at risk who are 6 to 14 years old and putting them into better programs, getting them involved in sports, activity, all that. Absolutely. Why wouldn't we spend the money? Why wouldn't we spend the money? But we have not solved what is turning into a summer of blood on the streets of Toronto. And yes, you're right. I don't want to be histrionic. It's still just a bad weekend in Chicago, but I don't want us to turn into Chicago.
0: All right, Mike, we got to go in just a moment, but I got to put you on the spot here and ask, do we bring back carding?
1: I think we've got to look at how we how we can do it. When I talk to police officers, there is uh, a bunch of tools that they are not able to use. They, when I talked about being forward-leaning, uh, th- that's kind of what I meant. I get there's problems, and I get the abuses that have taken place, but um, I don't know, I, I feel we may have overcorrected, and we have to find a way to let officers do their job.
0: Mike Van Solen, John Mraz, you guys have yourself a lovely Wednesday evening. Thanks so much for joining us here on CounterPoint. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you.